Grace, mercy, and God's peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today we are starting into our summer series, being uh, thinking forward towards the summer already. I know we had a good day yesterday, so we're starting early to give you a taste and spread out kind of what we're studying. We're going to study a part of the Bible that's, that are called the minor prophets. So we're calling it little guys with a big message. They're called minor because their books are shorter as opposed to the longer ones, not that they had any less important things to say. But they're the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and I left my Bible, set my Bible on my desk and left it there. It has my bookmark right where we're going today. So pretend I'm holding my Bible. The last 12 books of the Old Testament, and a lot there, they're probably books you've never even read, like Obadiah and Haggai and Habakkuk and Zephaniah. I mean, who read Zephaniah recently? Nobody. Uh, maybe you did. That's great if you did. A lot of books, so a lot of unfamiliar territories. So we're going to dig into those this summer. Most of them will get a week on each. Some will get a few weeks. So I'll tell you in a minute where we're going to start with today. But first, I want to place them for you in the storyline of the Bible. So to, to simplify as much as possible, Bible in, in four acts could be creation. God creates things beautifully. We mess it up, and yet God promises to save, to redeem, to restore. And the rest of the Bible is the unfolding of God, saving and restoring that which we have broken. And then you see the cross and thorns. Yes, in Jesus, restoring and then redeeming. And then at the end of time, he will return to restore all things perfectly again. Yes, absolutely true, but there's a lot left out there. Particularly between the beginning, Adam and Eve, the fall, and Jesus, there's thousands upon thousands of years what happens. Abraham, Moses, Exodus, Israel, this Lent we studied David, so we got to know him. David's around 1,000 B.C., and there's still 1,000 years till Jesus. Well, there's a lot of prophets in that time, so we're going to start looking at some of those. Between 800 and 400 B.C., many, many, many prophets and after David, King Solomon, and then the kingdom split, so there's two, there's Israel and Judah, God split kingdom, and then in there there's 12 minor prophets. So we'll get a taste of some of them, and uh, hopefully you won't zone out because you're like, man, Obadiah, this is tough stuff. And it is, some of it is, I'll, I'll give that to you. But the prophets God sent to call his people back because God said, I love you, I want a relationship with you, I want you to follow me, and God's people kept walking away. So the prophets were God's mouthpieces to come back. So I know this next one's a little hard to see. That's the 12, the minor prophets, the ones we're looking at. So the big thing I want you to see on the left, orange, that's David, Solomon, then it breaks up, then red and blue, blue on the top, red, that's Israel and Judah, still God's people. Almost all the prophets are sent to God's people to call them back to God. Except there's a few sent to other places. And today we're going to start with one of those few sent to other places, and he's probably the most well-known prophet, and that is Jonah. So we're going to start today with Jonah, as he is not sent to God's people, Israel. He's actually sent to Nineveh, Assyria, a big powerhouse in the 8th century, 700s B.C., because God loves them too. So we see that when God sends prophets to, to enemy people, Gentile people, the people that are oppressing his own people, God still loves them too. God loves your enemies. 
So we're going to see that in Jonah. So that's the kind of the brief intro. I'll tell you again next week too, because it might be too much uh, to, to keep soak it all in right now. But today we're going to start with Jonah. So little guys with a big message, and I would suspect there's one thing we know most about Jonah, and what's that? Yes, swallowed by, yes, big thing that swims in the sea. Hebrew's actually not that precise. There's one word in Hebrew for big things that swim in the sea, and then it says a big one of those. So, whale fish, yes, 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 Hebrew's not precise, so... Jonah got swallowed up and then lived to tell about it. That's what we know about. Why? Jonah's actually a, a marvelous little book, very small, and he's the only prophet we're going to look at where the book tells his story. Most of them are re- recorded sermons, so it's all the speeches, sermons of the prophets. Jonah tells a story, and it's, it's really good. But it tells us God's love for everybody, even your enemies. Even the people that hurt you and oppress you and abuse you, God actually loves them too. That's how big God's heart is. And Jonah wants nothing to do with that. So we're going to get into Jonah. And Jonah is what you might call a comedy of a a book in the Bible. You might not think the Bible uh, in terms of comedy or even satire. Jonah is. If you have eyes to see what's going on, nobody does what they're supposed to do. Uh, Everything's turned up upside down on its head, and it's actually funny, and Jonah's a bad prophet, and the people that you think are bad are, are good, and so all that to say, let's get into Jonah, because it doesn't take long to see what's going on. So Jonah 1, we read it already, and if you want to bring Bibles this summer, that'd be great too, dig in, because uh, we're going to, in the next three weeks, go through every verse of Jonah, at least read it. Starts, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Son of Amittai, saying, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Yes, Assyrian kingdom was very violent, very cruel, very brutal, and they brutalized many people. So, yes, uh, you would want them to, to be taken down. So, when God tells a prophet to go somewhere, what do you naturally expect to happen next? You naturally expect, Jonah says, okay, God, not so sure, but you said, let's go. That's what should happen. This is satire. This is comedy uh, by the Holy Spirit. None of this happens the way it's supposed to. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Is that possible? It's it's not, but it's a joke the Bible writers are writing. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, found a ship bound for that port. After paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from... Jonah knows the Psalms. Where can I flee from your presence? You're there, even if I make my bed in the depths. Well, he's making his bed down in the depths, and God's still there. Just so you know how far away he's going, Joppa is the port in Israel, near modern-day Tel Aviv, part of Joppa. He's supposed to go to Nineveh by land, 550 miles that way, and he says, no, where's the farthest place away that I could probably think of in the known world? I'll have one one-way ticket there. There's probably not even ships that, you know, have Tarshish on their sign because you probably got to take however many, you know, segments to get there. So the farthest place away, that's where I'm going, Tarshish. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. That makes me wonder, have you ever been on a journey to Tarshish? Have you tried to go on a journey there? 
Have you ever run away from what you knew God wanted you to do? Have you ever knew what you were supposed to do, knew the right thing, and you went in the wrong direction on purpose? You may not have gotten as far as Jonah, but you've probably all wrestled with it, right? You've faced some choice where you know what the right thing to do, where you know what God wants you to do is, and you don't want to do it, you want to run away. And guess what? The best thing that could happen to your life is to do what God wants, no matter what. Now, might not be easy, but it, would, it will be best. And the worst thing that can happen to you in life is actually that you disobey God. Don't fight against God. Follow Jesus. Do God's will. Serve others. Tell them that God loves them, that Jesus died for them. So, pro tip, don't run from God. And to state the theme of the whole book in the negative, don't be like Jonah. So, the rest of the whole book think, don't be like Jonah. You'll also see it in a positive of God's love and mercy for people. But don't run from God. Don't be like, but we probably have. So Jonah isn't in the Bible, isn't told to us so that we try to be like him. Jonah is not put in the Bible as a person to follow, to emulate, to make a hero or to be like, because in almost every way Jonah is in the Bible to show us what not to be like. Jonah is held up to us like a mirror to see, oh, God okay, help me go the way you want me to go. So Jonah is a comically miserable failure because at every turn he does the wrong thing, says the wrong thing, does the opposite of what God wants, starting with running away at the beginning of the book, heading for Tarshish. So have you ever been on a journey to Tarshish? And even if you haven't gotten very far or even taken the step, we've probably at least had a moment where we thought about it in our mind, we knew what God wanted, we knew what the right thing to do was, and we didn't want to do it, right? Well, let's keep going. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and a violent storm arose. The ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God. So people from all over the ancient world, they don't worship the true God. They worship other gods. They're crying out to their gods. And they're tossing stuff into the sea to try to lighten the load to survive. They're going to die. They're going down. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. That's nice. Although you all, I'm sure, have heard another story of somebody else sleeping on a boat well, there's a big storm and everybody else in the boat's afraid they're going to die. Yeah? Well, this is the first version. So when you read the one with Jesus, you're supposed to notice things and go, oh, hmm, what, what happens with the first guy sleeping on a boat and the second one and the second one is far better than the first one. You're supposed to see Jesus as the good, perfect prophet who does God's will and, and you'll see more of this in a minute. So let's keep going. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to one another, come, let's cast lots, like roll dice, to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and it fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I, I, I worship Yahweh, the, the God of heaven who made the sea and, and the dry land. 
So these other people worship gods that uh, didn't make the stuff, but try to manipulate the stuff. There's the God of the sea, the God of this, the God of that. And the, from the creation story, you see God created everything, controls it all. And so Jonah, yeah, I, you know, I worship guy, you know, your gods aren't real. Mine's the real one. And I, yeah, I worship him. But I'm running from him. Don't, let's not worry about that right now. But the Jesus story, Jesus commands, talks to the sea because he made it and he controls it. Yet Jonah, we know, gets thrown into it as a sort of sacrifice that spares the other people. And Jesus compares himself to Jonah. You're supposed to see that Jesus is the one that gets thrown out on the cross for you and me. He is the good one, the perfect one, the true one, who is sacrificed one for all for you. But Jonah, he's a terrible evangelist. He is sent, he is supposed to be telling the Ninevites that God loves them. And these other sailors, he's like, ah, no, don't worry about me. I I worship the true God. Yeah, it's my fault. Sorry. He made all this, but he doesn't want it, but he does. And then what happens? This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running because he had told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. They said, what should we do to make it calm down? He said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it'll calm down. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. So these sailor, sailors have a bit of a, a rough uh, image, then and now, you might say. And so, but suddenly you have sailors, the foreign pagan sailors, praying to the real God. And Jonah running from the real God. So they cry out to the Lord. These pagan sailors suddenly are converted and believing. Please, Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold it, us accountable for killing an innocent man. Lord, you have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So Jonah isn't being nice. He really could have said, you know, I'm going the wrong way. Turn the ship around, and you know, maybe, maybe it'll calm down. No, he says, throw me over, which isn't so much sacrifice, but selfish I'm trying to die. I'm I'm trying to not do the thing I'm supposed to do. And yet you have these, uh, 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 these guys, they row back. Instead of dumping them over, they say, oh, well, well, they're still acting honorably. Well, they'll try to save Jonah. They try to row back. They can't. But then the sea grew calm after they threw Jonah, and what happens? At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to the Lord. So Jonah, who doesn't really hardly tell them about God, converts them. God uses Jonah's terrible uh, evangelism strategy. And they come to faith, and they believe in the true God. So this terrible prophet who runs and tries to die and tries to do everything to not do what he's supposed to do, inadvertently brings these rough pagan sailors to faith, and they repent, they pray, they sacrifice, they give vows, they do all the things Jonah should be doing, and they throw Jonah out, you know, to die because that's what he wanted. And so Jonah should die at this point. Story over, right? You throw in the sea, you're done. Or then, you know, uh, poetic justice, you get eaten by something. Uh, But that's what actually happens. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll talk more about that next week. Second thing I want to talk about on this story just for today is God refuses 
to give up on people. I hope you see that so far in this chapter. God refuses to give up on people. The sailors, the Ninevites, Jonah, and you. You see, these sailors, as I said, then and now are known for a bit of a rough lifestyle. They worship other gods. Jonah only backhandedly tells them about the true God, and they believe. God refuses to give up on people. The Ninevites, if anybody you would want to receive judgment at that time, it's them. Violent, ruthless nation, hated by all the others for good reason. You can read historically what what they did to their enemies. Terrible stuff. And yet God loves them. God wants to show mercy and grace to them. He wants to send a prophet to call them back, to forgive them. God refuses to give up on people. And then there's Jonah. If anybody actually deserves God's judgment here, it's Jonah. You know, he's the the miserable failure of a prophet. God calls him, he won't go. He runs in the opposite direction. He tries to, to die, getting himself thrown overboard rather than go. And yet God refuses to give up on him. He has him still survive and live and go on to go tell the Ninevites. So even unwilling, stubborn prophets like Jonah, God refuses to give up on them. And I think that's good news for you and for me today. God refuses to give up on you. God refuses to give up no matter how many times you've run away, how many times you've disobeyed, or no matter how many times you've made a mess of your life, or no matter how many times you've chosen your way over God's way, and no matter how much hurt you've caused others or caused yourself, God refuses to give up on you. And God comes after you because God loves you and wants to give you another chance. And it's only because God sent his perfect prophet, the later Jonah, the second Jonah, Jesus, to make things right with you. Jesus is the one, you might say, was thrown overboard for us. On the cross, died to give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance to forgive you your sins over and over and over again. And it's Jesus' bleeding body on the cross that shows God's bleeding heart and love for you. God refuses to give up on you. So to to sum it up, to start Jonah, to start this series... In the negative, the book of Jonah is about don't be like Jonah. But in the positive, it's God refuses to give up on you because God loves you. Amen.